Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Welcome to another impactful night of the Impact of Educational Leadership. This is episode 66. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Tonight's panelists are Buddy, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro, Jen Belay. And Rick Belay. Please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Jen Belay. Uh, it's great to be here today. I guess I'll go next. I'm Rick Belay. Welcome. Glad to have you all. And from the great state of Arizona. Uh, this is Buddy Thornton, and it is an honor to be here with my esteemed peers. You are in for a treat tonight. Tonight's topic is, what leads to miscommunication, especially between a male and a female? As the COVID-19 pandemic has restructured our society and how we learn. The education industry may need to join forces and do more conversing on the new channels in relation to communication platforms. Communication styles are becoming more personable. Content is being tailored to more specifics related to topics that are current with the events we face today. Because of COVID-19, education must develop a new way of communicating to attract diverse learners. A learner's internal and external environments can positively or negatively influence their ability to complete goals, small or large, especially when communication skills are different. Communicating appropriately and effectively with others is necessary through various channels in order to build up and maintain healthy relationships Healthy relationships through effective communication skills are necessary to help rebuild our society. Tonight, we will take our time and explain to the listening audience what communication means to us. First panelist is Buddy, the positive social change agent pro. You know, I've invited Mr. Thornton here on several occasions because what he is doing with his programs, with his curriculums, with his seminars, with his workshops, is a so is aligned to our topics. And the way he converses, the way he explains, the way he breaks down these topics, for me is therapeutic. With that being said, Buddy, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro, please say hello to the people and tell them a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Well, thank you, Isaiah. Uh, I uh, am a doctoral learner uh, completing my dissertation at uh, Grand Canyon University. Uh, I have a master's in human services counseling and a bachelor's in life choice education. And I've spent the majority of my adult life trying to understand and decipher how people just get through the day to day. It's very important that people get through the day to day. And uh, uh, because I felt that that was uh, something that was important to me, especially with the large family that I have as uh, a great grandfather now with eight great grandchildren. uh, It's very important that uh, we understand how to communicate with people and just to understand people in general. So uh, that's the focus of everything that I do, regardless of whether it's mediation, coaching, parent teaching, it doesn't matter. That's what I do, that's what I specialize in. 
you know, today people are looking for a checklist, something to check the box so that they know that, you know, they covered all the areas. Sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it's not. We need seasoned cadre, seasoned people that know not only the laws, but know people and know how to navigate around barriers. My question to you, buddy, is how do you identify barriers to communication and to communication opportunities? Again, uh, the question is, uh is a trendsetter, especially in a situation where we've had to pivot from face-to-face to digital presences more and more because of the COVID-19 situation. But when you look at the question, how do you identify barriers to communication and communication opportunities? What you have to do is you have to start with a, a framework. And to do that, you have to develop an understanding of what an optimal omnidirectional communication looks like between parties, between two, between three and more. And then you have to be able to identify the missing components. So it starts with the framework and then it works outward from there. The most important aspect is that we have to understand that omnidirectional means that it doesn't matter where the communication starts or stops. It is constant. It is evolving. So there's some components that are important to stay abreast of what is being said in the communication situation. We're humans. We think and we process. We categorize, we label. But to do that, we have to understand that the most critical component is active listening. We have a bad habit. We tend to listen so that we can think of what we're going to say next. And we tend to jump the gun. We tend to try to go to what we're going to say next before the other party even finishes saying what they're saying. We can't do that. What we have to do is we have to develop a individualized habit of being purposeful and relational. And we should hold ourselves from speaking until after we have heard everything the other party has said and then reflect upon it long enough to develop an accurate, meaningful response. And at the same time, because we habituate to to trying to come up with an answer before we finish listening to what they're saying, we miss very important clues. We miss the nonverbals, and we also fail to send our own nonverbals. They may be speaking, but they may change what they're thinking or what they're saying based on what they see in us. So I think it's important that we understand that the most critical factor is the active listening part of the component. We have to remove all the distractions. We have to listen to what the speaker says. We have to listen to what signs, their hand movements, their facial expressions. And we have to be able to reframe that in our mind. We have to remember what they said from the beginning to the end. And we have to be able to feed that back that we actually understand it. And those are all components of active listening. It's very critical that any of those things can create barriers. There are physical barriers, distance, noise, distractions, impairments, poor timing, even someone's ability to speak the language or maybe they're even speaking a different language. Those are all physical barriers. In the COVID-19 situation, we have digital barriers, digital barriers where You know, we don't know if we can believe what we're seeing on the screen or what we're hearing coming through the screen. So there's a credibility issue. We found that in the teacher-student context, especially in disadvantaged populations, that there's an accessibility barrier. Semantics, different cultures and different populations speak different words for the same meaning. So we, between semantics and contextual barriers, we... uh, have what we call an attenuated uh, barrier that turns into what Americans like to call an attention span. We all have a very microscopic attention span right now because of the digital world. We've evolved into 
the 15-second sound bite. Social barriers can be uh, the use of cliches. That can be multi-generational. It can be intergenerational, jargon. Uh, does one generation really know what the other people are saying? What's the current slang that's out on the street? Double speak. One person can be saying one thing and then mean completely something totally different, and you're not picking up on it, mainly because you're not catching the nonverbals. Then there's euphemisms, and even in today's society, unfortunately, we have a lot of vulgarity, which turns the receiver off. We, we are uncomfortable with the vulgarity. We concentrate on the vulgarity instead of listening to the message. And then, of course, the final real barrier to communication is psychological. We have psychosocial distance. A lot of that comes from implicit and explicit and subconscious bias, uh, uh, maladaptive behavior. Uh, we have microaggressions between different people in the same cultures and between different races and different cultures within the same social environment. The multiple biases can be up or down the scale. It's a very broad continuum. We tend to have, because of the, the move from a face-to-face -face environment to a digital environment, we tend to have limited dignity and respect dynamics. Uh, it's very simple for someone to just turn off the screen or not pay attention and uh, the other party doesn't even know you're not there in a lot of cases. And then, of course, we have the, uh, the deep-rooted barriers to communication, which is fear, anger, shyness. These are things that have been around for literally hundreds of years, and yet they, they are still there. They take a back seat to some of the more modern versions of barriers to communication. But we need to focus on all these barriers are present in one way, shape, or form. It's, a, it's not one, it's not two. It's a compendium of all of these can be present within one group dynamic, and especially teachers and administrators in schools have to be aware that they can run into any of these barriers at any time. And uh, I think I'm going to break it off at that point because... I believe that uh, Rick and Jen both have a lot of insight into what happens with these barriers in the school environment, and uh, hopefully I've set the table really well for them. I believe you have, sir, and again, I love the way, I love the way you flow. You know, a, a lot of people may be wondering, and I've had people ask, you know, you keep inviting uh, Buddy, the positive social change agent pro um, to these podcasts. You know why are you doing it? And I and I just tell them one word: it's relationship. It's relationship, and it's the way I absorb uh, what you say. It's impactful for me, you know. And the way I, I interpret what you say may not be, you know, a hundred percent correct, but it's my interpretation. And my interpretation of what you said about ultimum omnidirectional frameworks is that, you know, we have to make sure that it's not a procedure, but an opportunity, an opportunity to uh, demonstrate that this conversation, that this relationship is relevant, right? And to get there and to get to that place of relevancy, to get to that place of relationship, it is tedious because, you know, we do think differently, you know? You're a little bit older than me, and so you're gonna have a different lens, a different perspective on, on life, on your outlook, right? So I have to be, in order to receive the most that I can squeeze out of that uh, orange, right, or that fruit, I have to be task-oriented. Right, and I have to listen. I have to listen to your words, not only engraving them in my mind and carving them in my mind, but I also have to listen with my heart. Because if I don't listen with my heart, I won't notice. I want. I will not notice your identity, and I won't know who you are. And so I won't know your voice. And so the reason why, you know, I continue to bring you back on this podcast is because I know your voice. And, and, and with that, and knowing someone's uh, voice, that develops a healthy relationship. That builds a healthy 
relationship. That sets the table, right? So that we can sit down and enjoy a meal, whether it be conversation, whether it be food, you name it. <clears throat> but we can en enjoy that communication, right? And so, you know, I love what you said. Another thing that I got uh, from what you said about those um, identifying barriers is knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin. Because, you know, I tell my students all the time to say this, you know, say imagination. And they look at me clueless, like, where are you going with this? And I, and I say, say it. And they say, imagination. And I say, you know, what it really is, is really a nation of images. And the question is, when people see your image, what nation does it represent? Because that's your brand. And that's why we had to bring you back on, buddy, because your brand is the Positive Social Change Agent Pro. And we want to thank you uh, for what you bring to this podcast and to this discussion. And with that being said, let's go to our next panelist, and that is <laughs> Mr. Rick Bolay, the Honorable Mr. Rick Bolay. Mr. Rick Bolay, please say hello to the people and tell them a little bit about yourself, sir, and what you're doing currently. Oh, hello. My name is Rick Bolay. I am a... 19th year educator now, uh, originally got a degree in music education, I also have a degree, a master's degree in educational leadership and administration, uh, and I also serve as president of Colleen Educators Association and of Texas State Teachers Association Region 10. So I am involved in advocating for, uh, I guess, 35 to 3600 educators in the central Texas area. Um, I teach music, and I appear on podcasts with the great and amazing Isaiah Drone and Buddy, the positive social change pro. <laughs> oh my goodness, you are hilarious. You know, you are so humble because you do so much. You have helped so many people. You have helped so many people with approaches to life, approaches to uh, education. Uh, uh, passing, getting bills passed, getting laws made in different counties. I mean, l bringing legacy to places that were dry, you know. And so you do so, so, so much. And this is why I, I had to ask you because I know that you are abreast with uh, the virtual environment and, and your season and technology. You're very technologically savvy. And so I had to ask you this question. How do you understand appropriate digital communication channels which either limit or motivate the communication flow? Well, again, first of all, thank you for having me back on. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, Buddy did an excellent job, and I love how he sets up the, the foundation and the table for discussions. Uh, I, I love that. I think he's excellent at it and he's amazing. I also love answering questions by beginning with what seems like a, a, a non sequitur. So with that said, I love a good book. Um, there's just something about how a great author is able to use words to perfectly convey a plot and the emotions and the overtones that come along with it. Books also give you the ability to personally and privately go back and reread and reprocess whatever section you may have questions about or a lack of understanding of. And the reason I bring that up is that in a virtual world, you don't get that. You get the elements of the book or the written story, but with a major difference in that it occurs in real time with other people in the picture and part of the process. And the other part that's important about that is that to co truly communicate, as Buddy mentioned, humans have to use all of their senses in cooperation with each other. And when you introduce things in the digital realm, it becomes more difficult, you know, and it becomes more difficult in general when one of those senses is disabled or less effective. And it increases the opportunity for mistakes or miscommunications. Uh, a perfect example of that type of thing is autism. Uh, I am a late diagnosed autistic. And one of the traits of autism can be 
uh, a lack of understanding, awareness, or recognition of social protocols. And I've been dealing with that all my life. You know, that moment where you laugh too loud, take a joke too far, you misread a situation, say the wrong thing. I've been there, and I've done that. And to overcome that, autistics like me need to form habits and methods by which they can better understand the social situations that they are in. And it can also sometimes take a little longer for those things to kick in. And the reason I mention that is that caution and clarity in communication becomes so much more important. And what COVID-19 has done is introduce that lack of our full use of our senses due to the constraints involved with virtual communication. Because it's not in person, even with a video link, you can lose in some ways those nonverbal cues and other things that might otherwise convey a clearer message. So, and additionally, it's, it's just more difficult to convey tone, emotion, and nuance through the written word. Uh, I remember someone talking once about, to a bunch of kids who were talking about going into the NBA, and they said, look, you need to understand, your chances of that are slim. 1% of the people who you know, want to get into the NBA get into the NBA. It's kind of a similar story with book authors. We love them, we buy millions of copies of their books, but there's a very small percentage of the population that has that gift to, do, to convey those things, those emotions, those overtones, that nuance, that well, right? The rest of us just aren't quite that good. And so we have more difficulty with it than they do, and we're trying to process and do things in real time. Buddy mentioned about processing. This is, this is a perfect example of that because the difficulties we have in a digital world processing things in real time with that lack of nonverbal cues that can be introduced with either written or texted or you know, typed words uh, can lead to miscommunications and even unintentional offense. So it requires caution and clarity while remaining in a state of inquiry to ensure that those miscommunications are avoided. But he called it active listening, and I use that term as well. So in other words, in, in some ways, it kind of resembles autism. Don't get me wrong, it's not the same as being autistic, far from it. But that portion of it does resemble some of what autistics go through in terms of processing information that is incomplete and having to form things and form opinions and decide on what your reactions are going to be because of that. Now, there's been innovations that have helped in some ways to overcome this obstacle. By now, everybody knows what LOL means. But in the early days of chat rooms and boards, there were a whole series of abbreviations and acronyms that helped convey additional meaning to words. And sometimes also a warning that there was a POS, and by that I mean parent over shoulder. And emojis, rather, and even GIFs help convey meaning for us as an addition to words and knowing what your communications app, depending on what you use, can and cannot do, is important of, in terms of conveying information and nuance. But while they do make it easier, they don't completely overcome the obstacle, which means that caution and clarity and communication still applies, that active listening part. In education, I think it provides us with really a golden opportunity because those of us who are a little older and were in the pre-internet generation, we're pretty much limited to the same forms of, of mostly direct communication and letters. Uh, didn't have the real-time digital communication over distances around the world like we do now. And for a number of years, uh, educators struggled to deal with the differences, the emerging differences and the increasing differences that people had in terms of how they communicated digitally versus how they did communicated in person. And so this provides a golden opportunity for us to not only learn how our children are, are speaking and communicating, but also to be able to teach in, to them, imbue in them those values of clarity and caution and understanding in communication. We have that golden opportunity to, to teach those things and, and apply those communications techniques to digital communication, which can only help and benefit our students and our children uh, and our descendants as we go forward. So 
caution and clarity in communication in using all of our senses and, and understanding and, and we can really, uh, it makes a difference. Wow. That was amazing. That was amazing. And I'm going to tell you why that was amazing because as you were speaking, you didn't just go into the typical conversation like, you know, about Bitmojis or Zooms or video games or coding. You went on a more social interactive level because I know you can talk about Bitmojis. I know you can talk about Dooley's. I know you can talk about those virtual platforms. But to me, you talked about I would guess you would say like the interplay, right? Uh, I guess you would say, like if, if, if we were doing a jazz piece, a, a musical composition, like a lead sheet or, or a fake sheet or whatever, and, and uh, you know, you, you give it to the band, if it's a trio, quartet, whatever, and, and they got the chart, right? And so, you know, they, 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 they're with sight reading. This is the first time, this is the first time we've seen this. And the fun part about it is the real, the real time, because it's like, you know, we're gonna look, look at this for the first time. We're not gonna practice, right? Unless you chick career or something, but we're not gonna practice. We're gonna go in here and we're gonna play it for the first time through. We're gonna run it down the first time through and see what happens. And so what you said is to me, like improv because we need to see what happens we need to let <laughs> yeah. let these kids just run loose with all of this technology and just see what we come up with what innovation styles what strategies what what will be developed i think sometimes we're scared to see what's going to be developed new because maybe it's going to blow our minds maybe we won't be able to put our uh, wrap our minds around it or put our hands around it because it may be so unknown that we cannot, oh God, I, see the way, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me shut up because <laughs> gotta bring, <laughs> and so, you know, Rick, you do this to me every time. And I, you know, I thank you for, you know, what you bring to this podcast, what you, you have brought to this discussion. Uh, with that being said, let's bring in uh, Jen Bollet. Uh, Ms. Bollet, please say hello to the people and tell the people a little bit about yourself and what you're doing currently. Uh, good evening. My name is uh, Jen Bollet. I'm a school counselor in Colleen uh, Independent School District and uh, also currently working on my um, LPC licensure uh, to be a licensed professional counselor. So uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You're so humble. You're so humble. I know you are doing a, a much more, much more than that, but we're, we're going to leave that alone for another conversation. Um, with that being said, you know, <laughs> your, you know, your husband is just, he's awesome, and, but I know he gets it from you, right? So uh, behind every, every great man is a great woman. And so, uh, with that being said, let me ask you this question. Did, did I say that wrong? I didn't say that wrong, did I? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. She's a very I don't tolerant get, woman. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble, sir. I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> you know, with that being said, why do we need to understand? Mm, I think this is the perfect question for you. Why do we need to understand those nonverbal cues and the impacts that they have on someone's message? That's my question. Hmm. Well, um, understanding nonverbal cues is uh, another clue in what I call the charade of communication. I say charade because sometimes communication is clear and straightforward and often it's not uh, due to a variety of factors. Sometimes people are unaware of their own feelings uh, or they may be knowingly or unknowingly afraid to share them and uh, their body language may be why their verbal message. So knowing what to look for can be the difference between just listening or fully understanding what the person is feeling and trying to express. 
Um, regarding nonverbal cues, there are common cues and some that are specific to each person. And those can also vary from culture to culture. Uh, for the sake of this discussion, let's assume we're dealing with Americans of the same general background. Uh, so typically making eye contact is considered a sign of respect and attention. Uh, but in some cases, some people avoid eye contact out of respect or out of fear. Um, and the, the conflict here can be if the person is in a position of power um, or even if that power field is level, uh, uh, they could assume the other person's being disrespectful. And that may cause the other person to feel upset or defensive for not listening or being respectful when in, person, when in fact that person was trying to be respectful. Um, or if that person might be afraid, uh, they now have increased the fear factor. And that can put people into a fight or flight mode in which communication breaks down or the person shuts down, uh, also effectively ending communication. Uh, signs of fight, fight or flight can be seen in different ways in different people. Uh, for example, uh, when my husband gets upset, his fingers twitch. Uh, and I would consider that a controlled reaction. But an uncontrolled physical reaction uh, he also displays is when his face gets red. Uh, while he doesn't have any control over that, it's a clear sign that something has upset him. And that's something that my grandfather also did. He tapped his fingers when he was upset. Um, so that, that was a sign to me, you know, to pay attention because even though he, you know, he would outwardly be very calm, you know, something was obviously on his mind. And other people, they might pull their heads back or cross their arms, which is a protective stance designed to self-soothe and protect a person. So recognizing these signs allows a person to slow down and redirect the conversation before there is a breakdown in communication. I think being able to recognize what a person is showing you versus what they're telling you is important. Um, how many times have we talked to somebody having a bad day that doesn't want to bother you and tells you they're fine, but they look down, they look sad or depressed, and clearly that person's not fine, they're not okay. So being able to understand those nonverbal cues is as important to communicating with someone as the verbal statements are, and in many cases, even more important. Um, people will call it a lot of things, a sixth sense, uh, gut feeling, reading between the lines, but um, at the end of the day, it's really an inherent, inherent part of our ability to communicate with and understand others. Wow. You know, I, I said your your husband was awesome, but I, I may have lied a little bit there. <laughs> I, I see where he gets it from. I see where he, he didn't lie. She just awesome her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gave me a new a new word. Okay, gotcha. I got to put that in my literary terms and literary <laughs> theory book. Um. I really want to pull from, for some reason, I want to pull from Buddy. Well, and the reason why I want to pull from him is because I want to see, you know, what he thinks about those nonverbal cues and how they relate to the digital environment, the, the, the digital environment and these nonverbal cues. Because, you know, we can do a mm -hmm. Zoom and we can kind of see you know what's going on but you know there's some things that's missing you know i can't i can't i can't smell you right i can't you know i can't i cannot hear all the little noises that rick said that you could be making because you could be hiding behind this digital environment and so buddy before we go to this next question what are your thoughts about what jen Bollet just said because I think you got something there. Uh, I appreciate the prompt. And, uh, Jen, you are dead on. Uh, everything is so culturally interrelated. <clears throat> you know, what works for one culture absolutely does not work for another. Uh, you know, we have a lot of different cues, and there are so many different factors that are uh, specific to non-American thinking. 
and in a global environment, especially in large metropolitan areas like Dallas, you're going to have a large number of people who are not from that area. But extend the difficulty of intercultural communication into the digital platform. And now the most critical things that are happening is the straight up misunderstanding of exactly what, what should be coming across that you would catch in a face-to-face environment. The best example I give when I'm talking to parents and or caregivers when they're talking to their children is a child can look you in the eye or they can look you in the face and they can know when you're saying something that you're intending it to come across as sounding sincere but on your face is either contempt or shame or derision or some other affect and even children as young as five or six can pick up on those verb or those visual ticks because they have been around you since birth. They know what you look like when you're being sincere. They know what you look, look like when you're trying to hide something. And when you move this into the digital world, all that disappears. Even in Zoom, unless someone is really paying attention, you're not going to catch all those facial tics, you're not going to catch all those micro-expressions. And so, very specifically, the digital world forces people to make decisions about the sincerity of communication without having all of the tools in their hands. I, I knew you had something. And it's only because I love you, you know? And so love is awareness. And I, I felt I felt it. I was like, you know, Buddy has something to bring to this table that we can eat, right? Because this is about eating. This is, a, this is like a potluck, right? And so we know communication is relationship, right? And, but relationship is partnership, right? And so how do you transmit that communication flow? to where you know it's partnership and it's, it's not about you know me or, or you, but it's about us. It's about that unity, right? It's about that uh, united. I think that's how the United States was, was built, you know, if we're looking at uh, social contract theory, right? That was the dream, the United States. So with that being said, you know, uh, I got to do this. And I I guess I'm picking a little bit, (laughs) but it's going to be a good pick. 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 With that being said, Rick and Jen, I want to ask you both a question. And this is uh, a question. It's a a partnership, I guess, kind of question. (laughs) And that is what leads to miscommunication between a male and a female? That's my question. So I, I think we'll say the first part of this together, and then I will let Jen go. Ready? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> and uh, yeah, actually, uh, you know, I, I was going to say there are. Uh, Many long-standing stereotypes connected to men versus women, and the first one that comes to mind is men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Um, and, you know, there are other ones, uh, you know, maybe not as famous, but women are too emotional, men never ask for directions, men don't deal with emotions well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And while there may be a measure of truth to, to these um, some of it is based in biology. Uh, it's by no means a definitive ex- explanation or guide for how men and women think. For one, uh, each individual has their own unique situation regarding how they were raised, how they learn to communicate and interact with others, and their own biology that affects their perceptions and responses. Uh, for another, not everyone falls into one side or the other and may demonstrate both characteristics of communication, i.e. male and female. Uh, For example, my husband often tells me I play Mrs. Fix-It rather than just listening. 
Uh, that's a characteristic often attributed to men. He, on the other hand, just wants me to listen and not engage or fix the problem. And uh, a wish that many women have who just want to be heard. Uh, but obviously, I'm not a man and he's not a woman. So while those, uh, those are traits that may be generally attributed to the they're by no means definitive in understanding those of the opposite sex. That being said, there is a certain amount of biology that comes into play regarding hormones and brain chemistry. Testosterone guides men's inclination, inclination to solve problems and how they react to them. So while men ha tend to have larger brains than women by about 10%, Women have approximately 15 to 30 percent uh, thicker gray matter in their brain, which is what directs our thinking. It, women are traditionally better at multitasking than men, and men are traditionally more strategic and logical in how they think, which minimizes their emotional response compared to their female counterparts who have a larger limbic system and are better able to express their emotions. Um, so I think with that... I'm going to turn it over to Rick and let him answer the rest of that. Uh, I, I guess I first want to say that uh, I did not consult her when I was considering this question. Uh, but it's ironic that in our consideration of these questions that we both thought so similarly and it's you know, I guess that's why we've been married for 21 years. Because um, as soon as I heard this question, I was just picturing men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, scenes. And the reason that book resonates so well is that in many ways physiology does have a bearing on miscommunication issues. Uh, we are, as she mentioned, hardwired to react and respond differently to stimuli, and we release different hormones in response to the stimuli. Um, and in many ways, it can sometimes be its own version of the communications barrier that I mentioned earlier, uh, because it creates those barriers where things get filtered out or misunderstood, or you know, and so it requires the same response: caution, clarity, and inquiry. The clarity and the caution help avoid the miscommunications, and they also help keep the tempers in check in moments of stress. And the inquiry helps with that as well, but it helps in another way that I think is also important. It shows that you're listening. One of the biggest things that we want when we're stressed and, and, and involved with another person is to feel like we are being listened to when we communicate. It gives us confidence, and validation that our words matter to the other person. On the other hand, if we don't do that, then we tend to act more judgmental, more hasty, and we're less inclined to communicate or listen to the other person's concerns or issues. And it seems almost counterintuitive, but if we stay in a posture of inquiry rather than proclamation or argument, we actually stand a much better chance of having our own words heard because the other person is going to be more inclined to hear them because you're showing that you're listening to their words. So, but like we discussed you know, in a previous podcast with our reaction, our hormones need to stay settled so that the cerebral cortex, that part of the brain that deals with reason and self-awareness, can come into play and consider the other people's concerns or points that they're making. And that happens, again, with caution and clarity and inquiry, and I was so glad that, that Buddy also touched on those uh, in his answer, because they really are very, very important. Uh, absolutely agree, absolutely agree. You know, tonight's conversation has been healing. It, it has, this is gonna help, this is gonna heal so many relationships. And I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get some takeaways from the bank, but I want them to be built on this premise, okay? And I know I'm throwing you for a curveball here, but I'll, let's talk about in the takeaways, what opportunities have you missed? And let's be transparent. What opportunities have you missed because of miscommunication? Um, who wants to go first? I'll take that. Uh, and I'll start by saying you know that that a couple of the things that you mentioned after uh 
my earlier question uh, really kind of resonated. Uh, when you spoke, first thing was when you spoke about the apps and the different ways, uh, you know, that, you know, the different things that there are. And all of the apps and the Bitmojis and the Zooms and the Skypes and the, all what they all are are tools to achieve communication. And if we don't use those tools correctly, they're not going to achieve the desired goal. So those underlying social protocols are very important in making sure that those tools are properly used. The remark that you made that struck me the most and, and really best ties into what you just mentioned is, is what you said about jazz bands and improvisation. And the reason I really liked it is that the really, really good bands are able to contribute to the musical conversation that goes on in, in improvisation without detracting from it. Uh, and those groups operate that way because of the trust they have in one another. Having that trust is so important in having any musical conversation because they know the other person isn't going to knock down what they want to say in favor of themselves. So the social protocols and active listening and awareness that all of the panelists have spoken about tonight, it's all based around trust and establishing that trust is the most important thing in any conversation. And I would say probably, I'll slap a percentage of 95% on it, of I would say most of the communications and issues that have happened are due to a failure to establish that trust in a conversation to where that person didn't feel valued enough to be an active and open participant. Because when we don't trust, we don't open up. And if we don't open up, it is very difficult to communicate. And I would say that that's probably the biggest thing, you know, when you get, when we get mad and we get upset or when we, we react, even because if, if, if we think we know what the other person is going to say or what they're thinking, and we get out of that inquiry mode, like I mentioned, that's where, you know, mistakes are, are made. And I think that's the biggest area of weakness that, you know, for me, to work on, uh, and you know, frankly, probably for more than me, but you know, definitely me. Powerful. Who's next? Who's powerful? Well, <clears throat> I think I'll jump in at this point and let uh, Jen uh, wrap the bow on the uh, Christmas tree here. Uh, one of the things that I work on very, very stringently is working on a, a, the concept of choice dynamics. One of the things that humans do very well is we characterize a label, but because we have uh, a very uh, attenuated skill set in that, we tend to make decisions rapidly and we cut off the communication flow or the data flow or the information flow too early in the, in the program. And when you're missing certain parts of the data, you're going to make a decision one way and then you're going to circle back and realize you made a bad decision. <clears throat> this happens over and over and over again, especially in social cue dynamics with teenagers. You can't expect them to wait until they have all of the information or, or the kids just, they wouldn't have a social life. They would all be kind of sitting in a corner going, well, does he like me? Does he not like me? Does she like me? Does she, do, I, do I go there? Do I go here? <clears throat> so research shows that humans act on decisions with about 60% of the information that they need to make a fully qualified decision. And yet most of the time, I would say well over 95% of the time, we tend to base those decisions off of nonverbal cues and we tend to get them right because it's part of our innate ability to read other people. And when we don't get it right, it frustrates us. And then we start doubting ourselves and then we have to cycle ourselves back and relearn. And that's where familiarity comes in. So like in couple dynamics, well, I'm sure Rick and Jen could explain this very well, but in couple dynamics, you get to know each other well enough that when you see something that doesn't make sense, there's the cognitive dissonance just jumps up and goes, Nope, that's not you. Something, something's amiss. Uh, I've been married to my wife for 47 years. When I even walk into the room and I see a certain look on her face, I already know to ask, what's the problem? 
So that's a critical factor in communication and it can never be overstated. Humans make decisions on imperfect or missing information and get it right most of the time. But it takes familiarity and it takes relationships to build the knowledge of being able to make those decisions better and better with less and less information. That was a very, very solid answer. And now we have Mrs. Jen Bolay. Um, I, I really liked what Buddy had to say uh, with that. You know, I, I think uh, familiarity with, um, you know, the, especially those closest to us, uh, that does factor in, uh, into a lot of things. Uh, my husband actually did that, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, and uh, asked me something, and I was like, how did you know? And he's, he pointed out, well, we've been married 21 years. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that uh, you do just, you know, like kids, uh, you get to know certain expressions or just, gestures or anything uh, like that that kind of is, is a clue. Um, I think a lot of times we're not aware of our body language and how we react, but other people are used to it and pick up on it. So sometimes, um, I think a lot of times even, you know, especially with husband and wife, um, they're more aware of you than you are of yourself uh, because you know, if you're not constantly self-assessing, then they're seeing these things and, you know, they're learning how to react to you. So that's familiar to them. So, um, there you go. yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, that was lovely. That was lovely. All the responses, again, was, I feel healthy, healing. And this is what we're going to need. This is what we need already. But we definitely going to need this as we are healing from this whole, this whole episode, this whole pandemic of 2020. Um, we have been traumatized. The world has been traumatized. And so tonight's topic was what leads to miscommunication between a male and a female. I think we were just scratching the surface on this conversation. It was really good. It was really, really good. Well, thank you for your time. This was another Impactful Night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 66. Our panelist tonight, Buddy, the positive social change agent pro, Jennifer Lee Bollet, and Mr. Rick Boulay. Good night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3.